today we're going to be in Psalms 145 and Lord willing 146. And as we go through these Psalms, I, I don't know, I wanted to kind of give you like some handles on it. So that way when you walk away from it, you're like, what, what was it about? And I know there's a lot of different things here. But um, in Psalm 145, I came up with this. Number one, it's a great psalm. And the reason I say that is because the word great is found repeatedly in this psalm. Uh, for example, look at verse 3. Psalm 145, verse 3. Great is the Lord. And therefore, it makes sense, greatly to be praised. So we're going to see great is the Lord. Amen? And so why is it a lot of times our, our, our praise is just so weak? It's almost like anemic. Great is the Lord. And so greatly, he should be praised greatly. And we'll talk about that today. But, but look at verse 5. Uh, I will meditate on the glorious uh, splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Um, and he says uh, here, Psalm uh, 145 in verse uh, 7, they shall utter the memory of your great goodness. There it is again. Verse 6, your greatness. And then in verse 8, your great mercy. So he's a great God. He has this great goodness, this great mercy. And therefore, we should uh, praise him greatly. And we'll talk about that as we go through our psalm. The second point after it's a great psalm is number two, it's a gab psalm. And by that, I mean, you guys know what gab is, right? It's just endless talk. And I think that sometimes the enemy just wants you to shut up. And I, you're like, man, you shouldn't talk like that. I thought you were a mellow fellow. Yeah, I am. But, you know, I want to kind of capture your attention. Don't ever allow the enemy or anything or anyone to shut your lips about the Lord. Don't let him uh, stop you from speaking about your Savior. Keep talking. And we're going to see that in this psalm. I mean, it's just it's crazy how he talks about it over and over and over again. I, I'm going to praise you. Verse 2, I'm going to bless you. As he goes on and he talks in, in verse 4, I will declare your majesty, your, your mighty acts. Verse 6, I will speak, uh, declare, utter. Verse 7, I mean, the whole psalm is just talking about how we're talking about greatly to be praised. Just don't stop praising God, talking to your kids, talking to your coworkers. Not obnoxious, but obediently. Don't, don't be silent. And so Psalm 145, when I was reading it and reading it and reading it, I'm like, Lord, what do we get from this? It's a great psalm, and, and it's a gab psalm. It's uh, David's final psalm in the book of Psalms. And so we read in verse 1, a, a praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. This is the only psalm that is entitled a praise of David. That's an interesting fact. But, but there in verse 1, he says, I will extol you, my God. Extol, what, what does that mean? It means to praise enthusiastically. To praise enthusiastically, not just kicking back, crackerjack. I mean, just like full on, like, I mean, I don't know. We're all different. Some of you are more introverted. Some of you might be more extroverted. Um, but I do think that we have to raise our praise. And I know this, that... When we're singing those songs, whatever you do, do not allow the enemy to distract you from the lyrics that you are singing with your lips to the Lord. Our praise should be great because he is a great God. Our praise should be enthusiastic. You know, David's here, we see his heart was to raise the praise. He says every day and on and on and on into eternity. We see that there in verse 1. And again in verse 2, I will praise your name forever and ever. You know, great is the Lord. We read that there in verse 3. He's so great that his greatness is unsearchable. It, we can't, it's unfathomable. It means that no one can measure God's greatness. 
And so we read in verse 3, he's therefore greatly to be praised. Today I was at a study and they sang that song. Remember that old song? And we'll never know how much it costs to see our sins upon the cross. I mean, his greatness is unfathomable. It's unsearchable. It's beyond measure. He is so great. And so he should be greatly praised. And of course, we know that has to do with our times of singing songs from the heart and worship. It's our whole life. It's, it's the whole day. Every day, forever and ever, we're just praising God. We're speaking of how awesome he is. You know, it's interesting. Verse 4 is interesting in that David directs his praise to God. But he also knows the power and impact of worship upon others. Notice again what we read there in verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now normally when we think of praise, we think, well, it's an audience of one. And that's true in one sense because we're singing, you know, we're worshiping God. But here he says that when we're praising, we're praising to another generation. And what he's talking about there is as, as we praise God sincerely, obediently, faithfully, enthusiastically as we're doing that, you know, it has a powerful impact upon others, uh, the next generation. And, and what, we see is, what we see is that we're passing the baton on when we do that. You know, if we fail to do this, you know, let's just say God's done this great work in your life, man. At one time you didn't know the Lord, you were dead in your sins. But then you got saved and you're like, you don't even tell anybody. You don't even say much to your kids anymore, to your grandkids anymore, your nieces, your nephews, you know. And, and it's like, man, what happened? Talk of it. Praise God. Let them hear it. You got to say it over and over again. It takes a, a while for their stories to sink in. And if, and if you do that, though, then they'll catch it and they'll be able to read their, their story, those stories to the next generation. And it's just on and on and on. If we fail to do that spiritually, then we fail miserably. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Judges chapter 2. It was about 1400 B.C. And then in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose who did not know the Lord, nor the work which we, he had done uh, for Israel. Imagine that. God, you know, what he did for Israel... I mean, he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And, you know, he said, you know, I want you to go. And Abraham went not knowing where he was going. It was a crazy act of faith. And, you know, he has only one legitimate child. But God has said to him, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky, the sands of the sea. You got to tell that story, how now there's millions of Jews. You know, why didn't they know what God had done for Israel. Why didn't they know about the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then they were in Egypt and how God redeemed them, defeated the most powerful nation in the world. He split the sea and provided for them in the wilderness the manna and the, and the meat and everything they needed and then on into the promised land and you know splits the Jordan River and then the walls of Jericho fired. Why didn't they know that that stuff? All the things that God does in our life. He does in your friend's life. He does in the church. Tell your kids. Tell the people. Tell the next generation. We have to pass the baton. And so when we're praising God because he's so great, our praise should be great. And people should hear it. And that, that's what he's saying. Because if not, what ends up happening is we fail to pass it on to the next generation. You know, and so all we got to do is relay the facts of God's mighty acts. We have that responsibility to take it in and then, and then give it out. Look at verse 5. He says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. You know, there in verse 5, he says, I will meditate. Let me ask you a question. You've got to be honest, because if you, you're lying, you're lying in the, in the house of God because we're gathering together, okay? When was the last time you meditated? 
just meditated on the Lord. Just meditated on the wonderful, glorious majesty of God and his wondrous works. And in other words, when was the last time you, like, you took it in? Because you're not going to be able to give it out unless you, you take it in, take it for what it is. That was just a full-on, bona fide, amazing miracle that you just experienced. You don't just move on like to the next, you know, whatever, yeah, I got to go wash the cat now type of thing. No, sit down, take it in. And that's what he's saying, I'm going to meditate on it. And of course we know it has to do with history, scripturally, in the Bible. We meditate on these things. We can tell those stories as well. But it also has to do with the things that we experience personally. It's him and his message and his miracles throughout the Old and New Testament but, but it's also our own experiences. Look at verse 4. I mean, verse 7. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. You know, the, 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 the word utter is an interesting word. It, it literally means to bubble forth. It just bubble, bubbles out of you. You know, as you're meditating on these things, it just kind of comes out. That's what happens when you take it in, when you meditate on it. You know, the, the memory there in verse 7, it's talking about you remember. This is something that you experience. And so I think a lot of times, how many of you here, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. You know, God's done, you know, 27 miracles, full-on, full-fledged miracles in your life. Some of you here, he's done 270 miracles or whatever, you know, the number is. Has he ever done a miracle in your life? Has God ever done a miracle in your life? Is there a journal you have? Is there a place that you, you remember these things? Can you, have you told anybody about those things? That's kind of what he's saying here. You know, when you, when, you, when you look at this, I remember when I got saved, and, you know, I, you guys have heard my story many times. I was thinking today as I was spending time with the Lord, like basically, you know, how God can take the bad things and make good out of it. Like when my dad was shot, that moved me to a place where I could get saved. When I was working at this one grocery store and it got shut down, that moved me to the place I needed to be so that I have, I have a friend who would invite me to church. How God can take the bad and how Genesis 50, 20, it says he can use it for good. Those are miracles. You know, you might say, well, Manny, that was that when you first got saved. I, all my life, I mean, all my Christian life, I can tell you story after story after story. Well, what about anything recently? You know, something recently I'll share with you guys. And because we all just have to listen. God's always doing things like this. I'm not going to tell you all the, day, the details because I don't want to get in trouble, but my son recently started school, and, you know, he graduated from high school, and he went and he graduated from Bible college, and he started working and just saving up a, a lot of money. I'm so proud of him for that. Now he started school. Um, you know, it's a school where there's, there's uh, 60,000 students. 60,000. Think about that. It's crazy. And so he's going there. He doesn't know where to go. The first time, he's, he's driving through the parking lot. There is no parking anywhere, right? And so what he has to do is he parks a, a mile away, and he's just sweating bullets because he does not want to be late. He doesn't want to be late. And so, you know, he doesn't know where his class is. And anyways, long story short, he's got this big old backpack on his back. He's running, you know, to, to the school. And as he gets there, out of all these students, I don't know how many are there at one time, but I'm telling you, there's thousands of students. He hones in on this one person that he knows. And it just ha she just happens to be right there. And it just happens to be the one person who has been encouraging him to go to school. Out of all his coworkers, she was the one. And it was just so amazing to him because when he saw her, she said, oh, yeah, you know, boom and boom and boom. Next thing you know, he makes it to class. Otherwise, I know, I know my son. He probably would have got there about a half hour late. So now he gets there two minutes early. And, I, and, and then he saw it. He saw, hey, Daddy comes, you know, home and talk. Hey, Dad, what do you think? 
That was God, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was God. You know, just showing you, son, that he's with you, that he sees you. He's going to take care of you, and this is where he wants you. You know, all I'm saying is that, you know, there's these memories of the miracles that we have, and we have to tell these stories, you guys, because if not, then the next generation, they, they won't realize it. And like Judges in chapter 2, there arose a generation that they didn't know the Lord or the works of the Lord. So what he's saying right here, he's saying in verse 5, meditate on it, take it in, and then give it out. We speak of God's might and his acts and his greatness and goodness and, and righteousness and, and just how good his grace is. Notice there in verse 8, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. I mean, just think, this is our God. He, he doesn't have to be slow to anger, but, but he is. He doesn't have to be compassionate, but, but he is. He doesn't have to be great in mercy, you know, but he is. The, the Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. And, and you know, just talking, telling, sharing, praising, speaking, declaring, uttering how good and great God is. He's so He's so gracious, and we realize that as we read the word, and we realize that as we live our lives, how gracious God is. Romans 5.20 says we're, you know, sin abounded, grace abounded much more. It's super abounded on that. You know, we see that there in verse 8. Notice it says the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. You know, he's not just compassionate. He, he's full of compassion. He's He's slow to anger. Our Father doesn't have a short fuse like us. He's not quick to fly off the handle. He's great in mercy, meaning he doesn't give us what we deserve. In Psalm 103, verse 11, it says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And so, you know, just declaring these things. I don't know about you, but man, that mercy that you've been shown, that we've been shown... I'm going to use your life. I still have plans for your life. I'm going to use you to bring people out of the flames of hell. I'm going to use you to build people up. I'm going to use you to take your wife to heaven. I mean, how merciful God is. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. I mean, it's just it's so important, right? And so that the mercy that we've been shown move our mouths to praise him, to talk about him, to declare him, to utter him. Don't ever let the devil shut you up. I'm not talking about being obnoxious, but I am talking about being bold and obedient. That's what this psalm is all about. You know, I, I love what we read there, and we've got to tell the world this, you know, the, the Lord is good. Look in verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. You know, when I, when, I, when I read that right there, I believe the works here are in reference to us. We are God's work, right? The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so where his poem, Jeremiah chapter 18, says he's the potter, we're the clay, we're his work. And so he's molding us and he's shaping us. And what he's saying right here is that, that those works, you know, praise him. You know, for, to all, all the people. I love it. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. In verses 12 and 13, they emphasize God's kingdom. Notice again, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom 
your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. If you remember in verse 1, he says, I will extol you, I praise you enthusiastically, my God, O King. Isn't it be cool when Jesus, King Jesus, rules? You know, it's one thing that we have this personal relationship with God, you guys individually, our households, but man, we look forward to the day when it's the kingdom of God. Of course, we know it's invisible now. There is that aspect of we have this kingdom of God that's existent now in an invisible realm in the church, but one day it will be visible. And so for us, we see the way that God has taught us the kingdom of God. You guys read the parables. It talks about the kingdom of God and in the paradise, in the kingdom of God, heaven. We have to make sure we share these things. You know, even the way our king catches us and lifts us when we fall. Look there at verse 14, if you would. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Or these are people with a heavy burden. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is, is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. And so, uh, then just praising God for all these things, for who God is, for what he does. The Lord lifts those who fall, and he lifts those who are bent beneath their heavy loads. Matthew eleven twenty eight right? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Proverbs 24, verse 16, it says, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. You know, this is important. You know, God is good to all. Maybe you're here today and you feel small. Well, the word all is in small. Maybe you're here today and you are one who, you, you fall. The word all is in fall. He forgives the fallen. And the Christian, he gets back up. And God uses his life. And I was thinking about the, the guys in the Old Testament. Abraham, did he fall? Yeah, he fell. He had an illegitimate son. He fell. He slept with Hagar. He shouldn't have. He fell. I mean, he lied about his wife. He wasn't a perfect man. But, but look at Abraham, the, what God did with Abraham. Maybe you're here and you've fallen. Is it over? No. But you've got to seek the Lord the way Abraham did. I mean, you know, you just look at all these guys. Isaac, he did the same sin that his dad did, you know, and then he favored one of his children like a fool. He shouldn't be doing stuff like that. And then you got Jacob, the hill catcher, conniver, manipulator, right? And just a schemer. And just all that. You go to, to, to Judah, and he slept with a prostitute. And Moses, he murdered. And David, he murdered and committed adultery. And, and Peter, he denied the Lord. All these guys fell. But, but the thing is, they got up. And that, that's the thing that we have to understand. I'm not making light of any of those things, you guys. I'm not saying that you should go ahead and, and fall. Don't misunderstand me. But, but what, what he's saying right here is our God is great. We're great sinners. He's a great Savior. Our God is great. He can forgive any flaws and any failures and any falls. God can do that. His supply of forgiveness will always be there. It's interesting to me when I read this right here, and we're talking about God's provision of grace. It's so amazing. You know, forgiveness. I mean, that's amazing. But then in the same sentence, he talks about food. And I'm like, whoa, that's a wide spectrum here, you know? I mean, here he's talking about, you know, God's grace and how he gives to us and he provides for us. And when we fall... But then look at verse 15 again. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in, in due season. And I thought that was kind of cool because I like food. 
You know how blessed we are with the berries in their season and the cherries in their season, fruits and veggies. God does not spare even candies here and there. We make steak, we bake cake and bread and pies. Thank you, God, and your grace. Our needs are your supplies. Our God is great. And that's why every time you eat anything, you thank him. Because he is the one who gives you food. And he is the one who gives us forgiveness. And he is greatly to be praised. Not half-heartedly, but we extol God. We praise him enthusiastically. That's what we get out of this psalm. It's a great psalm. It's a gab psalm, right? Verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. And this is probably the inspiration of James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God, and, and God will draw near to you. You know, he's near, he's nearer. He's near to those who call on him. And of course, we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere in his fullness at all times. But not everyone is aware that he's there, that he's near that he's here. Here we are, we're sitting in the sanctuary. You may have forgotten that God is here because he dwells among his people. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and it's talking about the local congregation. Now when we, got, we get together, we're the temple of God. But we forget, right? And, and in the truth and all sincerity, what we find right here is that the, the, the word, the thought of prayer as we call upon him in truth and sincerity it brings a special proximity. And what we find is at the end of the day, there are some Christians who are closer to God. Why? Because they have called upon him in sincerity. And that's what he says, that the Lord is near. He is near to all who call upon him. You know, what we find is that at the end of the day, Jeremiah chapter 29 in verse 13, it says, And you will seek me, and you will find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. And that's what we find that David is speaking of here. Verse 19, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. You know, where it says right there, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him, I, I think it really means he will fulfill the destiny of those who fear him. Because the desires that we're talking about are not your desires to be rich, not your desires, you know, for whatever the fancy car or big house might be. No, the desires we're talking about are the desires that are godly desires that he puts inside of you. And all, that's all part of our purpose. And he will fulfill those desires and you'll be satisfied when you find yourself serving the Lord in that surrendered fashion, right? And so he will fulfill those desires. Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I'm just blown away at how God has blessed my life. But I know he's got so much more. And that's what he's saying right there. Your desire to serve him. Your desire, maybe you're here, you know, for a family. Your, your desire for direction. Your desire uh, for protection. Really, that's the context here. And we see that there even in verse 20. Notice again, it says, The Lord preserves all who love him. And that's in reference to basically all who are saved. You're saved. This is, God is going to give you this preservation. You know, the flip side, however, is that the unsaved will be destroyed. They've rejected the Lord and accepted the lie that they don't, they don't, they don't see God's greatness or their need for God's goodness. And that's what we says, he says there 
in verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. There's a, there's a place called hell, which is just a holding tank. That's just central jail. Eventually you go to prison. You go to the lake of fire. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you know, do you really know the Lord? Or are you playing games with God? Because you might die today. Kobe Bryant taught us that, that lesson. That helicopter where all those people died, that teaches us a lesson that none of us have tomorrow guaranteed. Do you really know the Lord? Because when you die, it's too late to make a choice. You have to make that choice now. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Hey, the road to life is narrow. There are few to find it. There, the road to destruction is broad. There are many who go that way. Don't play games with God. Don't one foot in, one foot out. That, that won't get you to heaven. Jesus died for you on the cross. He did all the hard work. But all he's asking is for you to be real in your commitment to Christ. Come to him and say, Lord, come into my heart. I need you. That's what he's talking about right here. And the thing that I think is so cool about this, because some people, they want you to preach hell, fire and brimstone, like, you know, 24-7. And then I guess if God, you know, calls you to do that, then that's fine. You know, go for it. We're all different, right? But here the psalm is so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But then he's like, hey, but watch out for hell. You know, that's kind of like how it is for the most part. We don't talk about hell with a smile in the sense that we, you know, we're, we want people to go there. But there is that place for warning. You know, John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. So the thief is the devil. He wants to steal you from God. He wants to kill you and destroy you. And that's why we have to be abiding in the Lord. You know, I believe that we have to be abiding, that you can't go sideways, that you can't, you know, just do whatever you want to do. And so, you know, David here, he ends once again with that truth that we will praise the Lord forever and ever. The, the last uh, five psalms, think about it, we're almost done with the psalms. They all begin with that Hebrew word, hallelujah. And they end with it, hallelujah, as well. Praise the Lord. Now, in Psalm 146, if I had to outline it, I would say it begins with praise the Lord, then trust the Lord, and then hope in the Lord. So praise the Lord, trust the Lord, and hope in the Lord. And then in that hope, there's this, a couple of things. Number one, he's a gracious God. And number two, he's a glorious God. Notice what we read in verse 1. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now, and it's just so cool. I mean, I don't know what you guys think on this. What praise do you think is better? The praise you'll offer in heaven or the praise you offer now? And probably the praise you offer in heaven, I don't know, more than likely. But I tell you what, this is worth kind of a, a little research on, you know. More than likely, the, the praise we offer in heaven is going to be pure. But there's a, there's a factor here that makes it interesting when you compare the two, that it's only while we're here in this fallen world that we can praise God by faith. You don't see it. You don't feel it. But you know it. You know who, you never seen Jesus. You never seen his nail scarred hands. You never seen you know that that crown of thorns. You never really seen it. But you know it. You believe it. You praise him by faith. Our life's not over yet, but we trust him, and we know by faith that he's going to take care of us. You know. So what what he's saying right here is, I'm going to praise you while I live here. I'm going to praise you while I have my being here. You know, we can't actually see him, we can't physically hear him, we can't necessarily feel him, but we praise him by faith while we live in this land. There, it's not going to be faith anymore. There, it'll be sight. Here, it's by faith. And that's a real important factor. Psalm 104, verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. You know, and we praise him. We put our, our confidence and trust in him. 
You know, we worship him. Notice verse 3. Do not put your trust in princes nor in the son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs and returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans perish. And so, who do you really look to? Who do we really look to to make it through? You know, do we really have him as our help? He says, do not put your trust in, in princes. There in verse 3. And so these are the guys in positions of power. Maybe they have the money. The psalmist uh, says, we, we can't trust the money man, much less the son of man. We can't trust mortal man. He's just a man. And he's destined to die one day. And all his plans will die one day too. That's why we have to trust in the Lord. You know, Psalm 60 verse 11, it says, give us help from trouble. It's a prayer to God. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. And that's repeated in Psalms 108 and verse 12. In Isaiah 31, verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor, nor seek the Lord. You know, we have to praise the Lord. And we have to trust the Lord. Very important for us. You know, we're here. We want to be, you know, solid Christians. We want to be, we want them to use our life. You know, we want to have that, that joy, the spring in our step. We want to defeat the devil and all those demons that have a stranglehold over your kids. Are you kidding me? How are you, how are we going to defeat the devil that is stepping all over our children? If we're not walking the way that we should be walking, we're not praising the Lord, we're not trusting the Lord, we have everything figured out. We got the money in the bank, we got friends in high places, and our trust really isn't in the Lord. You want to know why I know your trust isn't in the Lord? Because you don't even pray. You show me a praying man, and I'll show you a man who believes in God. That's trusting the Lord. Otherwise, you know, you've got everything you need. Huh? This is important for us to make sure that we trust in God and not in, in man and not in America. Jeremiah 17, verse 5, is, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. I mean, that's an ugly place to be. We, we are not our, to put our trust in the champions of men or the children of men, not in the mighty leaders of the land, no guy, no gal, no governor. The sons of men are just men. Even the best of men are men at best. And people are impotent, powerless. Men are mortal. They can't defeat those demons. Can't. When we throw our children in the air, I was thinking about how we need to trust the Lord. And what a beautiful place it is. So when you throw your children in there, did you guys used to do that when your kids were small? Did you guys ever do that, torture them like that? You throw them in the air, but it's not really torture, huh? Because when they're being thrown around, is there a smile on their face? Big time smile on their face. Why? Because they know, daddy's going to catch me, right? And the same is true for God. You know, we live in America, you guys. Our trials, a lot of times... They're rather small compared to the way that the church is being persecuted. So crazy persecuted all around the world. And, and they don't know where their next meal is going to come from in some of these countries over there. You know, but I know you guys are going through trials. I know we are and in some ways, right? And I was thinking about this. Lord, I know people who are going through difficulties. Why? Why? You're here and you're, you might be asking, why am I going through the, the craziness that I'm going through? And all I can tell you is, uh, you know, count all joy when you fall into various trials, don't the testing of your faith that produces endurance. Weeping may come for a night, joy in the morning. I noticed this, that trials, I'm talking about true trials. They bring you to your knees. If you're not on your knees, you're probably not going through 
crazy trials. And you're like, well, yeah, I've been going through a trial, but man, it's been a long time now. Well, it just all depends on, on what, you know, the Lord is doing, what needs to be done. You'll be in the trial for as long as you need to be. For David, it was 10 years, 15 years when he was on the run and in the cave. No, when you really seek the Lord, when you're really seeking him, you're going to go through trials. That's why you're going through trials, some of you here, is because you love the Lord. You love the Lord, and so the enemy is after you. And he's saying, like, you know, the devil did about Job. If I can just, you know, take care of all those things and bring him down, he'll curse you to your face. I was thinking about, like, how it works. Like, uh, for example, if you're, you know, kind of like in a trial in a fire, it's like baking. I was thinking about baking. Like, when you bake a cake, it's got to go into the oven. It's got to go into the heat, Right. And if I'm not mistaken, you bake a cake, maybe 350, 30, 35 minutes, huh? And that's what it takes for that cake to be eaten. <laughs> and God, it says Romans 8:28, He works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And so, all those ingredients, when they're isolated, it's not good. But when you put them together, it's good. And then when you bake it, you know, at the right temperature, that's your trial for the right amount of time, it's good. You know, some uh, food, it requires a higher heat. Like pizza, did you guys know that? Pizza requires 500, you know? And you're like, well, man, yeah, I'm not a cake or a pizza. Okay, are you a turkey? <laughs> Turkeys, I think they require 15 minutes for every pound. And so if it's a 25 pound turkey, it's gotta be in that oven for over six hours. Maybe you're here and you're a turkey. <laughs> and that's why it's so long. All I'm saying is that, you know what? Trust God. Trust Him. He knows, you know, how hot it's supposed to be. He knows how long it's supposed to be. Trust Him. He will work this all out for good. So we, we find right here, we're not, we don't trust men, we trust God. But I wanted to say this, because I was going through my own life and my own experiences in life, and I was just thinking, in my life, though, Lord, how many people have you used in my life? You know, does that mean that we don't need other people? I don't think that's what he's teaching right here. Well, Manny, I thought you said on Sunday that we're the body and that we need each other, you know, because we're different parts and we all need to work together to function at full force. And, 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 I, and the, the truth is, I think we do need others. I know I desperately do. I need counsel. I need prayer. I love my children, but I need help with my children. I know that and I see it. Where would we be? without these other people that God has surrounded us with and that he's using. So when you're saying like I'm trusting in God, not in men, it doesn't mean you isolate yourself. It just means that God will use people as vessels, as tools, as weapons. But ultimately, don't give them the glory. He'll use them. We need them. But our trust is in the Lord, and he will bring people into your life at just the right time, and that God will use them. And so I just pray that we would have that, that balance. You know, I, I need counsel. So first I go to the throne, and then I go to the, the phone. You know, I need a friend. That's okay. You keep your friends, but remember that you have your best friend. That's all. You know, verse 5, happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord. And so, like I said, you know, this psalm, praise the Lord, trust the Lord, and hope in the Lord. And that's what we see in Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and those who hope in the Lord. You see, if we have the Lord, we have hope. And if we allow that hope, to be the, re the way that we cope, then we're going to have happiness. And, and we need to know how important hope is. I, I've told you guys many times we can live three weeks probably without food. You should try it just to make sure no, I'm just joking. Three weeks without food. 
three days without water, I'm not sure, six to eight minutes or so without oxygen, but not a second without hope. And that's why Jeremiah 29, 11 is so important. God said, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. When you think about your future, do you know it's bright? I pray you would know that. Praise the Lord, trust the Lord, hope in the Lord. He is gracious and he is glorious. Notice again what we read there in verse 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. You know, and, and when you read that right there, the, the God of Jacob, don't, don't miss that. Clearly, the Bible goes back and forth with this guy Jacob because didn't God change his name to Israel? You guys remember that? God changed his name to Israel. Why does he always call him Jacob? As, as a matter of fact, it's interesting that the Bible goes back and forth between these two names in the same sentence 82 times. 82 times. Now, when God changed Abraham's name, Abram's name to Abraham, that was it. From this point forward, God called him Abraham. When God changed Saul's name to Paul in the Bible, that was it. From this point forward, his name is Paul. But why is it that Jacob, when God changed, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, well, shouldn't that be it? And of course, we know the lesson is that God is the God of Jacob, that God is the God of grace. That sometimes you guys are like Israel, and sometimes you're like Jacob. Sometimes you're like Dr. Jekyll, sometimes you're like Mr. Hyde. Sometimes we walk in the spirit, sometimes we walk in the flesh. And again, I'm not making light of that, but has a, a day ever gone by when you didn't sin against the, your beautiful, wonderful, holy God? No. And, and what he's teaching us is we, we praise the Lord, we trust the Lord, we hope in the Lord because he's gracious to us. You know, Israel means governed by God, and Jacob means hill catcher, conniver, essentially governed by man. And what God is trying to teach us is that he is gracious and he is glorious. This is the one. Notice there in, in verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. You know, we can praise him. We can trust him. We have this hope in him because look at how he's so gracious and he's so glorious. He's the maker and maintainer of heaven and earth and all that is in them, everything and everyone i let that sink in. Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? What you're going through, what you're going through, the desires that you have, the dreams that God has set before you, is it too hard for God? No way. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And he takes care of everyone. You know, there in verse 6 where it says he keeps truth forever, it means that he is forever faithful and he keeps every single promise. You know, verse 7, in his time and in his way, we see there will be that day of justice for the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry, freedom for the prisoners, the, the blind see. Of course, we know Jesus is a picture of that. When Jesus came and, and he healed the blind, never has anyone ever done that, but that's what God does. And of course, there was a time when we were blind. I was thinking about that today, how before I was a Christian, I read the Bible, I didn't understand it. People would witness to me, I thought they were weird. I was just blind. But then one day, he allowed me to see, he gave me life. He lifts up those who are bowed down with heavy burdens. and He loves the righteous, it says right there in verse 8. And that's just his children, huh? How many of you have children? Just out of curiosity, raise your hand. And keep your hand raised if you love them. You do, huh? Man, 
And the Bible says if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, you love your children, how much more does God love you? See, that's what we see here. He loves the righteous. He watches over the stranger, that's the foreigner, and he sustains and cares for orphans and, and widows. And I've seen that throughout the years. Uh, next in verse 9b, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. You know, and it's kind of similar to the previous psalm, huh? It's like all this good stuff, all this good stuff, but boom, I want to give you a little warning here. <laughs> you know, that God will turn the way of the wicked upside down. The, the Lord shall reign forever, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. Oh, man, I look forward to heaven. How many of you guys look, look forward to heaven? You're like, man, it's going to be cool. But imagine those people who their future is, is hell. You know, you get to spend eternity where you want to, with God or without. If you don't choose God now, then chances are your heart's going to get hard. Things are going to happen. Life has a way of just, you know, bringing you to that place where before you know it, you don't even know where you are. No, the Bible says, call upon the Lord while he is near. Seek him while he may be found. You may be here tonight and you're thinking, well, I mean, I, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. You know, we're not, we're not talking about the opportunity, you know, to, to go to Vons and buy, you know, a croissant or something. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about this miracle that God offers to us. And so, do you want God or not? Do you want him? Choose him today. And I'm not talking about one foot in. Choose him today. Because really that's how it works. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 was the verses that God laid on my heart real heavy. There's this narrow road that God wants us to walk on by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, and you can tell, you guys, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be in ministry. You don't have to be a leader. You know if your heart is in it or if your heart is not really in it. I pray that today, if your heart's a distant, that you would come to Jesus. Forget about everybody else right now. This is you and Jesus, the one that was nailed to a cross for you. This is you and Jesus. If you've been distant, and I pray that today, as we uh, have communion, that you would draw near, that you would draw near. You would just say, Lord, I've been distant, I've been cold. I don't even know if I really know you, but I want today to be that day, Lord, where I'm all in. People will see my life change. It will be undeniable. When God is burning inside of you, it will be undeniable.